Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pine Podcast. I am your host, Wesley Cagle, once again. This is the second episode. I'm I'm hoping... Ooh, nope, that's not how you talk. <laughs> I am hoping everybody is coming back and having a wonderful time. Today is just me alone, just because I simply have no fucking friends. That's a joke. Um, I hope. <laughs> but uh, today, I, I just can't have anybody over, really, because I am doing way too much today. I'm filming at least four to five videos. I'm hanging out with my buddy Spencer in a little bit to get some exercise and just chill because I need to take a chill pill. I'm recording this. Um, I need to edit my 100 subscriber or 100 subscriber um, special video and have that uploaded by tomorrow, let's hope, or uh, Wednesday by the time I'm recording this. And let's see, what else do I need to do? I just need to do a lot of shit, man. Just way too much, and yeah, but it's not going to stop this podcast. It's been so long since I've recorded one, I hope you enjoy the audio quality a lot more in this one. Trust me, I've I've learned my mistake from that first one. I really didn't try, but hey, I mean, you got to start from somewhere. But today we are talking about underrated movies, or my top five underrated movies, um, just because there's so many underrated movies out there that we need to talk about, and everybody has one. You know, a lot of people are like, how do you not like this movie? It's so, it's so, so good. And I don't understand, like, the hate or the criticisms it's gotten. Or just the lack of attention it's gotten, which are a lot of movies. And it's so weird. Because um, Hollywood really likes to put out pieces of shit, but they never really like to acknowledge the good stuff. And when you do get the good stuff from Hollywood, they do make hella bank or they just don't. Like, it's just that simple. But uh, I'm going to start the timer to get it ready. Give me one second. This is going to be a long podcast, so um, get your popcorn, your chocolate milk. That's what I got right now. Where are you feeling? You know, whatever. And let's get ready. Hold on. Make it like an hour and 30, like I usually do. Let's go. Okay. I'll talk about maybe a couple honorable mentions. Um... I don't know if I would count The Social Network as an underrated movie, <laughs> just because it is simply such a well-received movie. I mean, clearly it's won so many damn awards, so I don't know if it could be a a underrated movie, but um, might just because I, I rewatched it not too long ago, and it's such a a well-made movie. Like, I, I can't forget how good... David Fincher is as a um, as a director, and I can never remember the screenwriter's name, but he did so good, and obviously the the cast of um, I hope y'all guys didn't hear that truck. Uh, welcome to Alabama. That's how it is over here. Um, just like with Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Justin Timberlake. And Andrew Garfield, wild cast by. I keep forgetting that Brenda Song was in that fucking movie. Do y'all remember that? Uh, Linda Tipton from from Sweet Life, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. She was in that movie, and I completely forgotten. And Army Hammer. I had no idea Army Hammer was in that movie. I think it was his first ever movie. Um, he plays the twins, and they CGI'd his face, which is so weird for a movie like that. I didn't think there was any any CGI. So maybe that's why it looks so damn good because they don't really have anything else to. Well, CGI. I could be completely wrong, but I just love, love that movie. There is one line that's been sticking with me ever since I rewatched it, and it's 
It says, the internet is not written in pencil. It is written in ink. And that is such a fucking well-made line. Just because it's so true. Anything you post on the internet is temporary and forever. Maybe one day if I ever have a slip-up and I get canceled, please, for the love of God, I really hope not. Um, <laughs> it's on the internet forever. Uh, I mean, hell, the uh, actor who plays uh, Elongated Man on The Flash recently got fired because of old racist tweets, which, not really a great time to do right now. <laughs> but, um, dude, it's just insane. Like, what a, a well-made quote. And that script is like almost a 90% of dialogue in that movie. And I love it. It's literally just Jesse Eisenberg doing his classic fast-paced talking. Him, you know, I mean, he basically plays himself in every movie. But um, just such a well-made movie. Uh, I know a lot of it's not true, apparently, from Mark Zuckerberg's uh, Intel, which I wouldn't be shocked. Um, what movie is that... I mean, realistic. Especially when you paint the main character as an asshole that's a real-life person. To me, that's when you... when you really, really have something special. But I think he really liked the movie either way. But... In my opinion, I don't really care if it's that realistic or not. It's a great movie. And it feels realistic when you watch it. So, I don't really mind that's not exactly the, um... the same... But yeah, that's one of my honorable mentions. And just because I kind of realize it's not an underrated movie. <laughs> um, let's see. I was thinking about putting Spider-Man 3 in the underrated movie category. Just because, yeah, it's it's not that great of a movie. But it's still a very, very well enjoyable movie. If you ask me if I could watch uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 Andrew Garfield... Or Spider-Man 3, I'd pick Spider-Man 3 in a heartbeat. Maze Spider-Man 2 is really fucking boring. And that's really, really, really where I think is the worst of um, the Spider-Man movies. Um, some people think Far From Home is the worst. I'm like, how? We have a good villain in that one. And I mean, say all you want, it's... Very stunning. I mean, cinematography is actually really nice in it, and it's not as bad as people make it out to be. And it's just Sam Raimi fans really being mean for no reason. And I, I'm a Sam Raimi fan, like to the heart. I am a Sam Raimi fan, so I don't understand it. Um, hope you enjoy this eating ASMR as well. I heard a lot of people enjoy this stuff, so who knows? But um. Another one would probably be The Perksman Wallflower. Um, you already know how I feel about that movie. But I see so many fucking gifs and tweets about that damn movie. So I don't... <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. I don't think it's an underrated movie. <laughs> probably not. Especially with the whole like, We Are Infinite and uh, We Set the Love That We Think We Deserve line. I see that everywhere. Everywhere, along with the fucking Fiona shit from Shameless going like, uh, like, uh, they all leave or whatever. God, what happened to Shameless, by the way? That was a really good show. It kind of just fell flat, didn't it? When they tried to induce, like, really weird politics, I guess. I hate when TV shows do that shit. But, anyway. 
let's get into the top five. My first one, let me pull up the list. I'm probably sure I pulled it up, but hey, you know what? I'm not professional at this. You should know that by now. Let's see. Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer is a wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, I believe it is still on Netflix to this day, and it's from the director of Parasite. And obviously, if you haven't watched Parasite, I haven't watched it fully, but it's such a, such a, such a good movie. Like, really good. Um, usually, I'm not a big fan of, like, political uh, debates. I, I, I hate politics. I really do. Um, I don't like either political parties, to be real. I'm very, very independent myself. But um, I can stand it if it has something clever to tell me. And it can prove me in the wrong. It really made me think about what I believe in. I do like that. But without telling me I'm a dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but that movie has... I'm talking about Parasite. So that it has wonderful, wonderful commentary about uh, the poverty that is going on right now. And it's really wonderful. What, what a real well-made movie, you know? Um, but... Snowpiercer, it, it's almost the same way. And I, I, I want to pronounce the director's name, but I don't want to get canceled because I have no idea how you pronounce his name. But um, this was like one of his um, first movies, I believe. Uh, it's one of his in, like indie projects. And it's such a well-made movie. Uh, Chris Evans is in it. And if you ever doubt that Chris Evans can't act just because he's in a couple of Avengers movies, trust me, the dude can act. Like, he is a seriously talented actor. Not only is he a really pretty face, but, I mean, hell, he's even in that latest uh, Apple Plus, uh, Apple TV Plus series. Uh, what was it? Uh, Defending Jacob. I heard that show's, like, insanely great. And he just does, like, probably his best performance. But I don't know. Him and Snowpiercer is really what makes the movie work alone. Not only is it because of its interesting cinematography and the way characters act. But, like, this movie is almost completely original. I know that's based off of a comic book, I believe. But, man, it is such a good movie. Uh, basically, it's about, like, a post-apocalyptic... can't say that word. I don't know why. A post-apocalyptic... There we go. Hey, second try. Nice. Um, world or atmosphere, but inside a train. And I love that. It's such an interesting concept, and basically they've been on there forever because the world has been like frozen. I guess it was. I think it was because of a nuke. I haven't watched the movie forever, so please mind me. Um, but basically, yeah, the world's frozen over, and the last of the population lives in the train. And basically, uh, they don't want to live under this rock because they're like they're being pushed by this government that's in the train almost, uh, by the, the train conductor that you don't see till the end of the movie, but, um, man, 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 really cool. Uh, it has a lot of familiar faces in it that I had no idea. Um, it has the girl who plays, um, the ancient one, I believe, from, uh, Doctor Strange. She plays... I think it's Tilda Swift. I can't remember her name, but she plays a very, very interesting character in this movie. Very over the top, but it kind of works for this movie. By the way, 
Uh, this movie is fucking weird. It is insanely fucking weird. Like, you have people who have masks that don't cut out of their eyes, but it only cuts out their, like, their mouth. And their way of intimidating, uh, like, Chris Evans and his, like, uh, gang is by cutting open a fish. <laughs> like, literally, it's a weird, weird fucking movie. But it exposes a lot of truths about how we can be overruled very easily. And it's not one of those, like, uh, I'm 14, this is deep things, but it's such a great way of doing it. Like, each um, part of the train is a different environment. So it's almost like they're going through different uh, lifestyles. From where they started, they're the poor lifestyle. And then they go into the gardening, like, nature lifestyle and all this great stuff. And, dude, like, the plot twist in these in this movie is insane. Um... I'm going to get into spoilers, by the way. I think you probably should have guessed that by now. But, hey, whatever. If you're wondering why I'm eating popcorn, because it's a movie podcast, what else would I be eating? I mean, besides Sour Patch Kids, but, hey. Crunch. But, um, yeah, you find out that basically Chris Evans' character was a cannibal. And he ate his best friend's mother. That's so fucking insane. Like, dude. And the acting in that scene from Chris Evans is so well done, not just because of the director's amazing ability to direct, but just because of the acting capabilities from both. Um, I cannot remember the the guy who plays the junkie in the movie, but he did a well, well job. And this is a foreign film, so it's very, very different. Um, the CGI is not the best, but dude, I could give a less of a fuck about CGI as long as the movie is super, super good. Now, if you're cats, then there's a different story, but, um, yeah, just all around, what a well-made movie. Um, I feel like if you're a big fan of really weird and out there movies, you're gonna love this movie, and I would highly, highly recommend that you check it out, especially if you're a big, um, Chris Evans lover. All right, let's see. We got an hour and 17 minutes left. Let's go ahead and get into the second movie. Let's see. Okay, this is probably where a lot of people are going to check out. That's fine. Um, Man of Steel is such an underrated fucking movie. I don't care if you call me a DC fanboy. I am. But I can admit when some movies are wrong. I mean, I'll be a little in denial about it. But, hey, I will admit eventually that I was wrong. But this movie really put a realistic standpoint for the character of Superman, a character that is so overpowered and insanely, um, what's the word, like super not vulnerable. And it's really hard to make a good movie about Superman because... How do you make a character vulnerable when he's indestructible? And in my opinion, Zack Snyder really, really accomplished that. Not only just because of that, but Christopher Nolan was the producer of this movie as well. So when a lot of people say, like, Christopher Nolan's not part of any, like, controversial movies that are, like, meh, I'm like, really? Well, a lot of people didn't like Man of Steel. But there's a, a lot of people who love it as well, but... Honestly, like I, I love the religious metaphors in this movie. Um, I'm not a religious person, 
I'm not really bothered by religion. I, I like getting to the topics of it, to be honest, um, because I love seeing how people think the way they do. And it really, really intrigues me. But uh, I love that we had that kind of conflicts in this movie, how he's kind of like a godlike figure. Because here's the thing. Right now, in this world that we're living in, if there was a Superman flying about the sky, he would be considered a religious figure. Dude, like, <laughs> like I mean, it would make sense. Because here's why. He's indestructible. He has powers. Any superhuman would be a god to a lot of people. I mean, hell, you can ask any DC fanboy. He's already basically a god to them. I mean, <laughs> and also, Henry Cavill is so fucking underrated. You can say whatever you want about Justice League. That's not his fault. <laughs> That's Warner Brothers' fault. It's the vice president of that time's fault. I mean, we're getting the the Snyder cut, so I'm pretty sure it's going to prove a lot of people wrong about that. But he did such a good job. He had so many... He had a lot of shoes to fill up because... Brandon Ralph's Superman didn't really resonate well with a lot of critics. Um, I didn't mind it. It was not the best one, but he's so much better on Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like, really better, like, suit and everything. But, honestly, like, I mean, especially after you... Especially with Christopher Reeves. What a legend. That guy is such a fucking legend. And the only really Clark Kent that was good that we've had since then is literally Tom Welling in Smallville. And that's not even, like, in that universe, in the movie universe. And that's a very, it's a very popular teen drama show, but I, I love that show if you've never checked it out. But I love the world building, and I will admit, the only thing that this movie really, really suffers from is its goddamn pacing, man. Like, you can't tell what's going on. <laughs> like, it's really slow, or it's, like, really, really fucking fast. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? Um, I liked uh, Lois Lane. Uh, Amy Adams, she did a really good job. Uh, Lawrence Fishburg was so good as, like, uh, Jimmy... Ol no, it's not Jimmy Olsen. Fuck, I forgot his character. But he did a good job, too. Um, Michael Shannon was okay <laughs> as General Zod. I felt like he was getting a little too... Uh, what's the word? Um, into it? <laughs> My man went, I will find him! I'm like, fuck, dude, chill. Like, um, and Russell Crowe was, is it Russell Crowe? Yeah, Russell Crowe. He was pretty good in it. Um, he wasn't terrible. Um, I love the way Krypton looked in this movie. I like how they do the, um, the house or the houses, kind of like Harry Potter almost, but, uh, and I, I just loved how grounded the world is to him. Like that scene with fucking where Clark can't save, um, where he can't save Jonathan. A lot of people hate that scene. I'm like, I don't understand why. It's so well done. Like, he tells him, like, you know, you're not my father, which is true. Because he's grown up to be able to, like, not be able to do what he can to save people. And he has to be a secret. Because nobody knows if he's going to be a good guy or a bad guy by that point. Imagine that. That's a frightening to a fucking kid and a young adult. And then when they have that storm and Jonathan sets the ultimate president for what Clark should be and what he becomes is a savior, a hero, where he has to save the dog, which I would do the same, by the way. Like, uh, I like dogs way more than humans. Uh, humans could kind of fuck all, to be real. But, dude, 
it's such a heartbreaking scene because you know he could do something. And he just tells him, you, you can't. Nobody can know who you are. And I never understood how people don't like that. I mean, if you have a different opinion, fine. That's that's cool. If you don't like the movie, that's fine. That's just my opinion, by the way. But, dude, it's such a good scene. And uh, I don't really, I don't remember who they got to play, uh, Jonathan Kent, but he did a pretty damn good job. Um, and yeah, I know people are gonna point out Batman vs Superman. If you watch the Ultimate Cut, it's a lot better. It's still a lot of flaws, but it's a lot better in pacing and character fleshing moments, if you will. Except Lex Luthor, he's still weird. Uh, I don't know why he's like that, but um, sorry for the voice crack. <laughs> Uh, but and people who complain that he destroyed all these buildings I'm like bro Age of Ultron by the way which is overhyped in my opinion he they legit used a fucking building to destroy <laughs> they use no they didn't even use the building they used the whole the place the fucking town that they're saving to destroy Ultron. Like, how are you going to say that they destroyed the whole city and killed all these people when literally Avengers killed the whole population? Like, I love both sides. Sorry, my friend's texting me. <clears throat> anyway. But yeah. Um, again, I just really, really enjoy that movie. I don't understand why a lot of people hate it. Maybe it's just because of the pacing. It can be boring at times. It can really, really suffer from its pacing. But hey, not every movie is perfect. So I get that. What time are we at? We're at 110. Hmm. Let's see. Maybe I could talk about things I could have done a little bit more. Um, let's see. Um, I don't know. I honestly really, really do enjoy that movie. Uh, I love the scene where he's flying. And come on, you can't tell me that score is so good. Hans Zimmer did so good in it, dude. Like, it's... I'd play it, but copyright. <laughs> but seriously, like, Man of Steel had such a great... Fuck. Um, Man of Steel had such a great score. I loved it. I loved, loved, loved it. And really don't get why people didn't. But, you know, it's whatever. Um, I mean, Hans Zimmer doesn't produce the best things. I mean, hey, there is... Miss Spider-Man 2, but it's not completely his fault. <clears throat> For real. Okay, you. But it's whatever. Alright. Should probably go on the next uh, video. Not video. Fuck. Movie. And by the way, if you are listening to this podcast on YouTube, I would highly, highly suggest and please do uh, subscribe to my channel. We come and chat today and leave a thick, thick, thick thick like and follow me on instagram twitter uh i'll probably have a discord for this stuff eventually but it's all good um and uh you can also listen to this on the apple music <laughs> i said on the apple music i sound so fucking old um you can listen to this on apple music spotify and soundcloud for free and just like soundcloud Crowd, fuck, I hate my voice. Sound cloud. There we go. Okay, enough stalling. <laughs> Let's get into the next topic.
or um next movie. Okay, this is one I've been really, really want to talk about. Unbreakable. That movie is so so good. Never understood why I never saw the light of day with popularity until Split and Glass came out, which revealed to be the sequel or sequels to that movie. Imagine a Superman that doesn't know he's Superman. He lives here. And he's becoming Superman. He's learning that he is Superman. It's basically what that's like to me. And it's a very slow movie. It's not an action-packed superhero movie. Even though it is a superhero movie. Anyway. It's so well done. M. Night Shyamalan really knocks it out of the park with what he does with the character that Bruce Willis portrays and uh, that's when you get introduced to Samuel Jackson since he was in Glass but it's such a good movie like it really focuses on the almost um, philosophies of a hero and villain and like why they do these things and it makes sense for why Bruce Willis to become a superhero because he's actually a cop in real life um, it's such a well-made thing because uh, I, I love how they point out such differences in between heroes and villains in this movie. They really, really make you think about it. Like, they say that usually um, Samuel Jackson, he's like a comic book artist and he sells comic book um, panels and stuff like that. And also, I love the color palette in the movie. Um, if you watch one of Quentin Tarantino's like uh, best movies ever made or his favorite movies. Um, Unbreakable is one of them, and he agrees that it is the one of the most underrated movies ever made. And I completely, completely agree. But um, he points out to this hero where he has like a chiseled jawline, you know, like a ripped physique, and is morally right. That's how you can usually tell that they're the good guy. By their facial structure and the way they look. And you see the bad guy. He's almost a complete opposite at moments. And if not by looks and by personality. He's almost completely fragile. Like that's how you learn the movie that um, they call uh, Simone Jackson's character Mr. Glass. Because his, his bones are very, very fragile. And they break, like, glass, obviously. But the thing is, like, he's super, super smart. But Bruce Willis has super strength. And you see that dynamic. And you realize, like, how fucking right it is about comic books and movies. How they do this with the villains and the characters. And, you know, when you slowly discover what he is, you really follow along to the lines of the movie. And... I like how simple his costume was in the movie, too. It's super realistic. It feels super, super grounded. I almost feel like that's one thing that in, that uh, Snyder really wished he could do in Mass still. But I don't know. I don't know if he's ever seen that movie or if he's an M. Night Shyamalan fan. Uh, I don't blame him. He makes a lot of bad movies. But let me tell you, man. When M. Night Shyamalan makes some good movies, he makes some fucking phenomenal movies. Like It's really weird how that works. Never seen a director so bipolar in its um in its filmography. You know what I mean? Like 
He either makes incredible pieces of art or he makes really big pieces of shit. I just can't believe that's the same guy who made fucking um, The Last Airbender, by the way. I don't know. That's insane to me. But, yeah, I also think that's really where Night Shyamalan shines as a director in this movie specifically. He's able to really, really portray and grip you into both the, the sides of these characters. You don't really pick one over the other. You understand what their, what their motives are. And I really, really like that. Let's see what we got. Okay, we're an hour and three minutes into it. This podcast might end up being a little bit shorter than I expected, but hey, you know what? That's fine. Saves me a little more hassle of uploading it, so hey. <laughs> but uh, if you're watching on YouTube, comment down below if you've ever watched that movie or um, leave your rankings, by the way, of like what you think is the most, your top five underrated movies. I would really love to hear it. And um, I would uh, like to discuss with you in the comments. Okay. Okay. This one, I really, I love this movie. Um, this is considered uh, Christopher Nolan's worst movie, and it's still like a really good score. What does what the score remind me of? By the way, if you still use Ron Tomatoes, uh, Decide your own what movie to watch. I don't know what to tell you. They're very blind with a lot of their reviews, especially when it comes to political shit. But, uh, let's see. Uh, let's, yeah. yeah, I know what insomnia is. I'm, I'm looking at the movie. <laughs> Fuck. Really? Okay, once. First of all, this movie came out in 2002. <clears throat> and for a movie that came out in 2002, it looks like a movie that was made in 2012. Do you understand, like, how insane of budget and quality you must have? Like, this movie literally has a 92%. This is considered his worst movie. Like, dude, how insane is that? <laughs> Like, I don't think Christopher Nolan will ever make a really awful movie. Like, Tenet looks super good, and I can't wait for that to come out. But, I mean, this is a fucker who made the Dark Knight trilogy. He's never going to have a bad movie. He's never going to have a terrible career, honestly. I mean, like, I can't really say anything because you never know. But, dude, it's just... It's such a well-done well movie. Um... Al Pacino. Al Pacino. I think so, yeah. Um, Al Pacino plays the main character. He's a detective. And um, he has a partner. And they go into, um, I think it's Alaska. I can't remember. To solve this uh, girl's like murder. Because I think it has like an affair or something to do with. And basically... He shoots his partner, who thought is the villain, which is played by um, Robert Williams. How often is it that you see Robert Williams as a villain, by the way? I, he's so good in this movie, by the way. Like, so, so good. He's so twisted and everything. But 
um, basically, uh, the only person who knows about it is the killer. And he has to keep the secret that he knows, like, uh, who the killer is so that way he can't tell him, like, what he did and that he saw him shoot his partner. And the sun never sets in this movie, so he's he can't sleep. It's like his guilt is looking through him. Every time he tries to go up the sun, he always comes back to look at him in the face. It is such a well-fucking-made movie. Like, honestly, from the scale of the cinematography to the directing to the acting to the score, the score is really good in this movie. I was not expecting the score to be that good in this movie. But then again, it's a Christopher Nolan project, so what else was I thinking? But, dude, like, what, what a well-made movie. Um, each character gets what they deserve, and you question what you think morally is right during this um, this investigation and it's just so well made like Al Pacino and, and Robin Williams complement each other significantly and beautifully like insanely well like, if you really want to see Robin Williams ability to act Besides, like, Goodwill Hunting, which I've never seen, by the way. I want to see that movie. I, I should do a movie commentary, react to it for the first time. But it's insane the level of commitment this guy brings into the role. You know, he's used to being known as uh, the genie from Aladdin or, like, you know, the silly guy who, who did Hook, who, who makes, like, kids laugh. And he was such, like a well-known figure of positive energy. So when you have him play essentially like a rapist and killer, it's insane. He does so well in it that I, I honestly couldn't... It disturbed me that he played it so well because, again, he's known for all these like kiddish roles. But when he gets a serious role and a really good director and obviously a really good co-star, the guy is almost Oscar-worthy. Like, I'm being for real, his... He has, without doubt, in my opinion, the best performance in this movie, even though Al Pacino still kills it, because it's Al Pacino. I mean, come on, the dude's always good, but, like, dude, what a wonderful casting this movie has. Like, it's insane. Not only is the premise alone, like, haunting, because it's not like a scary movie, but at times it feels like a thriller. And, dude... It really, really haunts you the way it, like, um, sorry, I'm looking behind my back. I watch, uh, I finally finished the, um, The Haunting of Hill House, and I'm very, very fucking paranoid. I'm a scaredy cat, if you didn't know, if you did not, uh, know this. But, yeah, what, what a great movie. What a great premise. And it's just, it looks like a movie that would never come out in 2002. It looks like a movie that came out recently. And it's so pretty looking. And... Man, it's just really, really good. And it keeps you on your telesoy guessing, like, the investigation of what's going on or not. So, let's get into the next topic. Yeah, I think I'm going to make this podcast a lot shorter. Oh, well. <clears throat> Alright, we're going to talk about the last underrated movie, and I think we're done here. And it is the movie that actually inspired the name of this podcast. <clears throat> The Place Beyond the Pines. 
It is such a wonderful movie. I love, love this movie to death. I literally have a poster of it in my room as we speak. And what a well-scaled movie this thing is. I never hear anybody talk about this. And it's been on Netflix for so long. Like I think like three years. Wait, dude. It is such a well-made fucking movie. Like, Ryan Gosling plays a character or... <clears throat> no, he, he plays like a character we, we haven't seen him play. It, it's like this like kind of like badass kind of douchebag that's learning to better himself because he has his kid. Like he's a he's a, a a motorcyclist for the circus. And dude, like you never I should probably explain it. Okay. Yeah. Um it's about Ryan Gosling who is a motorcyclist for a circus. He goes back to this town where he slept with this um girlfriend they had for a couple of days he's kind of a, a fuck boy a little bit but um basically he finds out that she was pregnant with his son and he needs to take care of it because he wants to because this this kind of feels like this is the only purpose he has in his life uh, essentially and basically he does not have enough money to provide for his kid so he ends up robbing a lot of banks and again what a well-made movie this is one of those movies i've seen where it does not have one main character there's three main characters like the first main character is ryan gosling the second main character is bradley cooper and the third main character is dane dehan each main character changes in act so Act 1 is Ryan Gosling, Act 2 is Bradley Cooper, and Act 3 is Dane DeHaan. And dude, like, it's so, so well made. Like, each each act and each character bleed in from the other character. Like, there's a consequence that character made in the first act that follows through. And it's such a well-made movie that it basically insinuates how something, like... No matter how hard you try to run away from things in life, they're going to come back to bite your ass. And I, I love that premise, man, because he does... I can't remember who... Um, it's the director of Blue Valentine, I believe. He does so good at the vulnerability of these scenes with Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper. In my opinion, I think Bradley Cooper has the best performance in this movie. Like, the dude is broken, like, fucking broken when we see him as a main character. And I guess he probably has the least interesting plot. But, dude, he kills it. Like, I knew he could act ever since Silver Linings Playbook, which, that's another underrated movie. I should put that in the list, but that is a super, super underrated movie. I'm probably going to make a video about that, a long video with this. But, dude, what a wonderful, wonderful performance this guy's this guy gives. Like, I mean, he played Chris Kyle as well in freaking American Sniper. The dude deserves his credit. Because when he acts, dude, he can fucking act. And it's really weird because he looks like my dad. Like, he looks just like my dad. But the guy is incredible. Dana Hunt does a really good performance in this, too. It's pretty damn good. And, dude, just wow. This movie really, really wowed me with its shots and, like, how... Indie, it feels. I love it when a movie can feel really professional and indie at the same time. That, to me, is a testament of how good a director or a project is. 
when it's like super low budget but you make it work and you make it feel like this thing was made with like a hundred million dollars you know what I mean and just Ryan Gosling is so good in this movie too like this dude knows how to pick a really good script like it's insane I have not seen him in like a really bad movie in a long time I mean hell Ever since Blade Runner, the dude's been just, like, on a high with the fucking Oscar nominations. The dude really knows how to pick a script. And, like, I don't know how he fucking does it. This dude, picking a script is so hard for a movie. Like, it really is because the script could be good. But the, um... Fuck, what was I going to say? But the uh, outcome could be terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And it's such a risky thing. Because, like, that's why a lot of actors don't get blamed a lot when they're in a bad movie. Especially if they're having, like, a pretty decent or good performance. But. They have to sacrifice them being in a bad movie because they don't know. They really don't know. So, kudos to him for choosing really good choices. And, um. Oh, uh, Rose Byrne is in this movie, too. And she does a really good job playing Bradley Cooper's wife. Uh, Eva Mendes, I've had a crush on her since Ghost Rider because I was a, I was in love, in love with Ghost Rider as a kid. Um, what a, what a f- <laughs> that's that's a guilty pleasure of mine to watch. To be honest, the second one can suck my ass, but the the first one's great. But yeah, just man, what a great movie. And uh, Mar- I can't pronounce the fucking name, Marsha Ali, or. You know, uh, the guy who plays Blade now, and he was in Moonlight. He plays a, a boyfriend in this, and he's so good in it, too. Just, like, all around a talented crew, a talented cast, and a talented filmmaker. Usually, if you have those, you can't go wrong. And it, it surprised me when movies do that, when they can go wrong with such talented people behind the camera. Because I never understand that. But, yeah, this movie just really exceeds into it. And, um, guys, I think that's going to be it for this podcast. Uh... I don't think I want to make it too long because I think I got some um, some shit to do and some videos to put out for, for my YouTube channel. So if you did not check that out, please do subscribe and check it out. But um, yeah, uh, that is it. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Peace.